Ken. Well, good morning, everybody. Um, so we did. We just finished uh, our sermon series uh, called Flourish last week, and uh, Kim Zovac did a wonderful job talking about our uh, missions and, and really tried to bring it home in terms of mission. The mission isn't just out there. The mission is right next door. And to think about how can we help reach people that um, maybe live right next door is a really incredible thing. And uh, part of the whole uh, sermon series was that we were memorizing our vision statement. You all remember that, right? (laughs) That we are memorizing our vision statement. So we're going to say it all together. Are we ready? Okay, I'm not getting much of a feedback like, yeah, we're ready for this, okay? Oh, wait, don't, don't put that up there yet. Yeah, that'd be cheating. We don't need to cheat anymore, right? Okay, here we go. Ready? God's vision for Baseline Community Church is to grow disciples who authentically follow Jesus Christ so that our communities are transformed. Okay, now put it up there. Let's make sure we got it right. Let's just keep working on this, right? The idea is, again, that this would become a part of just who we are and as part of our DNA is this is what we're about, right? And we had these four sort of core values that we looked at all through January that we would worship Jesus that we would love one another, serve together, and share the gospel. And that if we do these things, we really do believe that we will help fulfill that mission statement. That we will help become followers of Jesus, disciples who authentically follow him, and then share the gospel with others. So keep that, let's not just forget about that and go, oh, that was kind of a nice thing we did back in January. But this should be something that we keep thinking about, keep praying through, and keep allowing God to keep doing good work in us. So that's where we are. So we are moving on to a new uh, sermon series um, called The Road to the Cross, um, Encounters with Jesus. I don't know, have you, uh, one of the things, growing up, my childhood, my parents never took us on a road trip. I know, right? I, I never did. I, I, I think my dad is like the calmest person in the world except when he gets behind the wheel of a car. So I think maybe that might have had something to do with it, possibly, that we just never did on a road trip. So I didn't grow up with that sort of thing, so we didn't do much of that with our own kids. We did take one road trip as a family. It was in 2011, and we drove up to the, went up five and got all the way to San Francisco. And, that, you know, it's a long drive in our van and the five of us and all that. Found the hotel in, you know, in tra- traffic in San Francisco, one-way streets, got there finally, pulled in, pulled all our stuff out uh, uh, there, and then I'm talking to the guy there, and he says, okay, well, you can park it down below for $25 a night. I'm like, oh, I didn't read that on the uh, thing that we sign up. Or you can go around the corner to place $15 a night. I'm going, okay, I'll go $15 a night, because I am thrifty, okay? That's what I am. I'm thrifty, okay? So, uh, so we do that, uh, but you know, it's one of those things where I, by the time I got in the car, walked back, I get upstairs, my kids are so excited. They're in this hotel, and they go, Dad, there's a pool on the roof. Can you believe this? So, you know, they've got their suits on, and we're going up there, and we're doing this, and then the next day, we'd go all around San Francisco, and then we went to Santa Cruz. We saw uh, Mount Hermon, which is a camp up there that Nancy had worked at for a couple of years, did all the Santa Cruz stuff, went down and saw a Hearst Castle, and went to um, San Luis Obispo, where a friend of mine was the uh, fire captain, and we got to eat dinner in a firehouse. 
with, oh, it was great. And the kids got to go on the fire engine and go around. And, you know, so it's just these, all these memories, right, that happen on road trips. And that is what we're going to study here in the next, between now and Easter, is a road trip that Jesus and his disciples take. There is a definite point in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are called the synoptic gospels because they're very similar. They're very different than the gospel of John. But in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, there is a point in each narrative where Jesus tells his disciples, hey, you know what? We're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be tried. I'll be crucified, and then I'll rise from the dead. And from that point on in those gospels, there's a definite turn of the disciples and Jesus, basically from the northern part where they're in Caesarea Philippi, they'd make their trip down to Jerusalem, and it's a road trip that they take. And along the way, they have these incredible encounters. And we will learn so much from the encounters that Jesus has with different people and in different situations that happen along the way. So that's what we're going to do here uh, between now and and Easter. And we're going to take this uh, kind of a road to the cross, encounters with Jesus. And my hope is that every week when we kind of look at these encounters, you'll be able to put yourself in the encounter. Ask yourself, Lord, what do you want to teach me from this encounter that you have with these different people or whatever happens? But that the Lord wants to teach us through these encounters that that Jesus had with these different folks. So the first encounter is going to be found in Matthew 17, verses 1 to 13. So if you have a Bible and want to follow along, um, that's where it will be. And I'm going to read it for us. It's called the uh, Transfiguration. And... um, The important thing to remember is that this happens, and all of these encounters happen right after Jesus was with his disciples in Caesarea Philippi, which again is the most northern place they go, and it's where Jesus asked his disciples, hey, who do the people think I am? And they had some answers, and then he looked at his disciples and said, well, who do you say I am? And they were kind of quiet for a moment, but then Peter said, hey, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. You're the one we've been waiting for. And that is a really important thing to remember for today, too. That that's where this all begins. And then we go here to Matthew 17, verse 1. Here's what it says. And I'll need my glasses for this, I think. It says, um, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love, With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down on the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, to be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him. 
but they've done everything they wished in the same way the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Uh, let's pray. So Lord, it is our, our, our prayer is that you would take the, your scriptures, your word, impress it on our hearts, draw us to a place of greater trust in you. Teach us, Lord, what it means to follow you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pretty wild beginning, yeah? It's quite a wild start to their road trip. But it all starts out with an invitation, right? It says this, after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. I love to kind of imagine what, these, what happens in the biblical stories. And, and just imagine, so here we, we know this, Jesus has 12 disciples, how do you invite just three? What, how, did, how did that work out? I, I mean, I'm really trying to think. How did, how did Jesus stands before his disciples and says, okay, uh, let's see, Peter, James, and John, you guys come with me. The nine of you guys, you just stay here. Now, I don't watch The Bachelor or all that stuff very much, Barrett, um, but I've seen enough of it to know that there's like this point in most of the shows where the guy or the bachelorette, they give a rose to somebody. And rose means you get to continue on in the show. No rose, you don't continue on. And I'm wondering, well, how did the other nine disciples feel? They didn't get a rose. <laughs> they don't get to go up the mountain. And how did that work out? Yeah, you, you three come with me. Or I've also imagined, what if, and again, I'd like to do what ifs. What if um, Jesus says to Peter, hey, Peter, James, and John, I want you guys to come up with me uh, to the mountain. And Peter goes, oh, you know what? God. I'm so busy right now, I, I don't think I can go with you. Or you know what, there's some really cool entertainment happening down at the theater, and I'm just going to go watch that today, and I don't think I can go up the mountain with you. Got other stuff going on, a lot more important than going up the mountain. Just sit with that for a little bit as we go through this. But those three go up, and then this is what happens. There Jesus was transfigured before them, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. This word transfigured is a really interesting word. And, and I don't, that's the only way they could describe what is happening to Jesus at this moment. Um, it's where the Greek word is the same word that we use, where we get the word um, metamorphosize or metamorphose. And what it means is, is that what is in the inside of someone or something is coming out so that it is shown on the outside. So what's happening to Jesus is not, his face isn't shining because it's a reflection of something or anything like that. His face is shining and his clothes are shining because the, what's on the inside of him is actually coming out. And the glory of God that is inside him, that has always been inside him, is now showing itself to these three disciples. You see, um, what is inside him is coming out. 
And then, and then there, there's two other people with him all of a sudden, and it's Moses and, and um, Anne Hamilton at our core group on Wednesday had a great question. She goes, how did Peter and James and John know it was Moses and Elijah? I mean, is that, that's a great question, right? I don't think they had name tags on or anything like that, right? But, but somehow, they, they knew who it was. They, they just sensed, they knew that that's Moses and Elijah. And, and again, some of the questions is, why these two? What does this mean? And again, most biblical scholars look at this and say, this is what it means. That, that, that Moses is, is, is about the law, right? The law was given to Moses and he brought the law. And Elijah is the first of the prophets. And so by having Moses and Elijah there with Jesus, it's saying that both the law and the prophets are there and Jesus said very clearly that he came not to do away with the Old Testament, not to do away with the law and the prophets, but to fulfill that. And so in essence of having um, Moses and Elijah there, they are giving support to the statement that Peter had made at Caesarea Philippi. That Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This experience that we're just now having on the transfiguration is supporting that and saying, yes, that is what is true. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God. You see, that when, when the Son of God was with God the Father and with the Holy Spirit in heaven, there was no limit of his glory. When he put on flesh he was, and born as a human being, he, it says he emptied himself of this glory, but he never lost the glory. The glory was always with him. He hid it except for this point in his life. This is the one time Jesus really shows his glory to humans. And he shows himself. And it gives this great support of what Peter had just said days before, that this is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now what's interesting about the conversation that happens between uh, Moses and Elijah and Jesus is, in Luke's account of it, it says that they were talking about Jesus' departure. They were talking about what was about to happen in Jerusalem. And that, uh, that uh, Moses and Elijah were talking to Jesus about this. And I thought, how cool is that? that? That God the Father would send these two pillars of the Old Testament to talk to Jesus about here's what's going to happen. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to worry about it at all. This is what's happening. This is what's going to happen on your departure. And then Peter is so blown away by what happens, the experience that he, he asks Jesus, he says, hey, do you want me to build three shelters? One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And, he, and, the, and the word that's used there, either they're tents or tabernacles. And, and, and what I think is so interesting is that Peter's either just practicing hospitality thinking, okay, we're up here on the mountain. There's two more people. We should put some tents up here. Maybe we're going to be here for a while. I'm not sure. Or, again, he knows from the Old Testament. Just about every time the glory of God expresses itself, it's in a tent or a tabernacle or a temple. And Peter's like, we've got to build something for this because this is too overwhelming. Now, in, uh, in the Gospel of Mark, 
it does say this about what Jesus says, or what Peter says. It says, uh, Peter said, uh, let's build, can I build three shelters? Because Peter didn't know what to say. Right? Right? That's Peter. Peter says something because he doesn't know what to say. You know any people like that? They don't know what to say, so they just say stuff. But, so we're not sure. But so he builds these tabernacles. He says, well, build these tabernacles. But then all of a sudden, all this is going on. God speaks. While Peter was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell down, face down on the ground, terrified. So, so this statement is very similar to the Old Testament accounts of God's glory, whether it's uh, Moses up on Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments, whether it's uh, the tent of meeting that they had through their travels in the desert, whether it is the temple, whatever. It's, this is very similar, this idea of a cloud and the enveloping them and the word of God being spoken from this. It's really similar to that. It's also similar to what we read about worship in the beginning of the book of Revelation, that this is what God's presence is like and his glory is like. And an encounter with the living God causes humans to respond in fear, which is caused by awe. We should have incredible respect for God, and ultimately, it should lead you to worship. An encounter with the living God should ultimately lead you to a place where you worship your God. And Peter and James and John fall down out of fear, and then I just love what, the, what the God the Father says. And, and, and he's speaking to the disciples at this point. He says, um, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And again, what the voice says, what God says from the cloud, again, supports what Peter said days before about who Jesus was. And the Father is saying, you've got it right. This is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased, and listen to him. And I just want to take a moment here, just take a little uh, side here. See, I believe God still speaks to us today. And I believe that um, a lot of times what God wants to say to you and to me is similar to what he said on this mountain. I really believe God wants to say, you're my child, whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. And so much of the time, unfortunately, what we think God is saying to us is, I'm really disappointed in you. You could do so much better. And what I want you to hear, and I hope the voice you will hear often from your Lord, is you're my child, whom I love, with you I'm well pleased. That's the heart of our God. That's what he wants to say. Now with this, the ending lines are really important too of what the Lord says to the disciples. And he says this, listen to him. 
Listen to Jesus. And the wording there is pay attention and obey what he says. Obey what he tells you to do. Again, going back to what Peter had said days before, if you really believe he's the Son of God and he's the Messiah, then you should do what he tells you to do. You should listen for what he wants to listen to you, or what, what he wants to say to you. I um, thought that was my phone and threw me off a little bit. But I don't have a phone. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but you should listen to him. If he really is the Son of God, if you really believe it, you should listen to him and do what he says. So all this is happening. Moses and Elijah, the voice from the cloud, the disciples fall down, they're worshiping, they're wondering. And then verse 7, it says this. But then Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Um, I love the wording that's used here. It's, it's really gentle, right? Uh, Jesus came and touched them. His first words are, um, get up, don't be afraid. You don't need to be afraid of what you're experiencing. You don't need to be afraid of God the Father. Don't be afraid. And again, I think that's a word many of us need to hear these days. Just don't be afraid. Continue to trust in your God. And then um, they do have a conversation on the way down that they've figured out that Elijah was John the Baptist and all those sort of things. But I love how he says, um, hey, don't tell anybody what happened up here. And again, I just like to imagine this. What's that like? The four of them come down the mountain. And Andrew goes, hey, how'd it go up there? Mm, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it was all right. Pretty good, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we had a good time. Made a campfire. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I just think, how did they not, I don't know how that works. But they, they, they don't tell anybody till later. And I think it's because Jesus doesn't want the crowds to think that he has come in to take over and to become the king. And knowing that this happened would just push the crowds to say, oh, you're going to be our king. You're gonna, we're going to get the Romans out of here. But again, I just, how, did, how did they not tell people for a month or so? But that's what they did. But here's the thing also. An encounter like this has an impact for a lifetime. Obviously, right? To encounter the living God in this way impacts you for your whole life. And, and Peter wrote a couple letters to churches later on in life, and, and probably, probably around 30 years after this had happened to him, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 and 18, he, he writes this. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we were told, told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. So 30 years later, he's writing about it. 
it's impacted him. It's made this huge difference in him. And, and it's probably part of what keeps him going as the leader of the church in the early days. Peter had an encounter with the living God and it impacted his whole life. So the hope we would have is that we would figure out what does this mean? How do we make this personal? What does it mean to have our own encounter with God? So I'll share this. I've had three encounters kind of like this. Not I didn't hear, I didn't see Moses and Elijah, I didn't anything. But I've had three sort of encounters with God like this. The first one, the earliest one, was when I was a junior in high school. And I went on a church youth group trip, like our kids are up right now, like they'll go next week, with my Presbyterian church back in La Cunada. And we went up to this Presbyterian camp and had a real, I think we had a good time. I remember having a good time. And... But on the Sunday morning, right before we're leaving, there's going to be one more meeting. The thing we did was we all picked up trash. So they gave us each a trash bag, and we went around the camp and picked up trash. And I remember it being cloudy, foggy, kind of rainy, and I'm going around picking up trash. And I'm going, well, I'm not very excited about picking up trash here at this camp, but okay, here we go. And I'm going off by myself. I'll go off by finding trash. And as best as I can honestly say, as I'm picking up trash, off by myself, all of a sudden, the fog cleared, the sun shone right through it, and in my spirit, wouldn't be an audible voice, I heard God say, I'm going to do great things through you. As quickly as that happened, foggy again. I'm by myself here. And uh, honestly, I would say it wasn't until that next summer through church and young life that I really gave my life to Christ. But after that, my life has been all about trying to serve in ministry trying to do what I sense God has called me to do. And and I feel like he's done great things through me. Spoken at times to thousands of kids. Built teams of leaders that cared for kids in great ways. Been a part of this church as pastor for 10 years. Maybe Maybe the greatest thing that God's done through me is raised my kids. I don't know. And I think we have a really interesting view of what great things are sometimes. Being a mega pastor or a mega church pastor or whatever it might be. And I ask the Lord oftentimes, are we done? You done doing great things? And he keeps telling me, no, you're not done yet. Not done doing great things. Now, We all may not have experiences like that. Like I said, I've had maybe three, something like that. But I want to tell you this. You can have an encounter with the living God every single day. Every single day. So I try to start most mornings by reading scripture and writing about it. I've talked about this before. I have, I don't know, I have about 30 or 35 of these books that I've used over the years. And this week, 
I started going through Second or no, First Thessalonians. And what I'll do is I'll just read a little scripture, ask the Lord to teach me through it, write about it a little bit, and see. So this week, like I said, um, was First Thessalonians chapter one, verses four to ten. And there's a part in there, and I'll just read this real quick, where Paul, um, oh, I think I have the scripture up there, don't I? Yeah. He says this, he says, uh, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. And so I read that this week, and I said this, I just wrote about it, I said, The gospel. That's the good news about Jesus, and it comes not just with words, but it came with power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. And I said, these are things that that you cannot manufacture. These only come when God decides to show up, and all we can do is pray for them. And so, most of the time when I read Scripture and write about it, I'd like to have it lead into a time of just prayer with God, short prayer. And so I wrote a little prayer. I said, Lord, I pray that when I speak on Sunday or any Sunday, that the gospel will be made known through your power, the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. Cause the spoken word to bring about change. You see, I I felt like as I read Scripture, and, and the Scriptures is the best, it's the best we have in terms of God's word, of what he wants to say to us. And what I feel like is he says, I want to be the one. I'll be the one that brings the power. I'll bring the Holy Spirit. I'll bring the change that happens in people's lives. You just do what you're called to do. So there's a lot of ways we can encounter the living God. And as I end here, here's the thing. I believe each of you has an invitation from Jesus to go up the mountain. To go up and encounter the living God. I really do. He's inviting everyone to come and be a part of what he's doing. He wants to speak to you. He wants you to be listening to what he would say. Here are five things, I think, or six, about how we might hear the living God. We'll go through them quick because I don't want to. First thing, slow down and get away. Kyle went to a monastery this last week. You don't have to go to a monastery, but you do need to slow down and get away. Our lives are so busy and just going, going, going. Find a time, place in your house that you can just be by yourself. The second thing is just open up your heart to God. It kind of goes with the next one, which is this little prayer that you might say that says, Lord, speak for your servants listening. Get alone, be quiet. Lord, speak, your servants listening. Then uh, listen and also read scripture, and God will speak through you. Take time to write it down. Here's what I heard God say. (laughs) Here's what I think he's telling me to do. And then finally, Share that with people that are in your Christian community that can say, hey, there's, this is what I thought God said to me. What do you think about that? 
But each and every one of you can do this. You can all take time this next week. Say, Lord, speak to me. Maybe there's a situation going on in your life. You're not sure what to do. You're asking for wisdom. You just have a scriptures you want to read through and say, speak to me through your word. Write about it. But God will use this to cause you to listen to him and what he wants to say to you. And I personally believe this is a really important time in our church. And I'm asking each and every one of us to listen for what God would say to us. In a few weeks, we'll have an Ash Wednesday service. It's in two weeks from this Wednesday. And we'll gather. There'll be times um, in the morning and the late afternoon and evening to come and experience something like this in terms of listening to what God would say. We'll also have a time during uh, Lent where we'll gather together as God's people for a little bit of worship and some teaching and some, but again, seeking after God. What are you saying to us, Lord? What do you want us to hear? Because I believe God wants to take us up the mountain so we will encounter him. Let's pray. The Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. That's truth. Thank you for the example you give us in Jesus. And I pray that you would continue to uh, invite us to those times and those places, Lord, where you want to speak. Those times and those places where you want to uh, tell us how much you love us. Tell us that we need to listen. We need to uh, even change. So, individually, Lord, we want to come before you. But also, Lord, just as your church, we really want to listen and uh, know your way for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.